You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> right. First things first, middle school students, if you're here, you are dismissed, and your leaders are out in the foyer, and so you can go and meet them there. Uh, middle school in the foyer. Um, hey everyone, so good to see you. My name is Sam, and uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here, one of the leaders at the Mariner campus. And uh, before I get started in my talk today, I just wanted to share a quick family update with you. Um, you will know this already if we're friends on social media, because I have been bombarding the internet with proud dad posts and pictures and videos. But if we're not, uh, I wanted to let you know that my wife, Jorley, and I had our baby girl. Thanks. That's Harper Joy is her name, and uh, you can go to the next photo. That's a picture of all of us together. Kinsley, our three-year-old, is just so excited, such a proud big sister, and uh, has to be involved in everything. So we're hoping that lasts. She's helping with feedings and diapers and all sorts of things. So it's good. Mom's healthy, baby's healthy, and uh, we're just really thankful. So pretty fun, special time. We are uh, starting into a brand new series this morning called God of All Things. And in this series, over the next few months, we're going to be looking at all sorts of things. We're going to look at stuff. We're going to look at matter. And we're exploring what those things reveal to us about the world that we live in, but ultimately what they reveal to us about the God who made them. And so the inspiration from this series came from a book by the same title as the series, God of All Things. It's by a guy named Andrew Wilson. And it's a really fascinating book. And as our preaching team began to just kind of think through this series and the kind of truths that we wanted to talk about, uh, the book was really helpful in maybe just giving us some fresh ideas, expanding the scope of our imagination as we seek to kind of communicate these timeless truths about God in hopefully a fresh new way. God of All Things. Now, this might sound obvious, but, but as I was studying over this last few weeks and preparing for this talk, I was, I was just really struck by the simple idea that, that God didn't actually need to make a material world. He actually didn't need to make matter and physical laws. He could have made an entirely spiritual world. He could have made the angels and just quit while he was ahead, but he didn't stop there. He created this vast universe with multitude of textures, and think about the trees, and the rocks, and the mountains, all the shapes, and the smells. What about food? With all the flavor profiles and combinations, this 3D world in beautiful technicolor, the things that God has made are incredible. And Andrew Wilson argues in his book, and I believe this to be true, that things don't exist for their own sake, but to draw us back to God to draw us back to the one who made them. St. Augustine, who's one of the fathers of our faith, he said it like this. He said, gifts from God in creation are like a boat that takes us back to our homeland, a means of transportation that can and should be celebrated, but should never be mistaken for the destination itself. C.S. Lewis said it a little bit of a different way. He said it's like following sunbeams, following the sunbeams back to the sun so that we can enjoy not just the, the object of goodness, but the source of what's good. And so creation preaches to us. The things of God reveal the God of things. And Jesus' own teaching is full of things. Think about it. In Jesus' own teaching through the Gospels, we have, we have talk of sheep and birds of the air and flowers and coins and seeds. There's salt and light. There's rain. There's sunrises. 
And so we're going to explore a few of these over the coming weeks. And my hope is that throughout this series, we'll, we'll, we'll get a deeper understanding, yes, of Scripture, but also this world that we live in and ultimately the God who made it all. So with all that being said, first on the chopping block today is pigs. This is a fun one. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be going together today. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of context as to what we're going to be talking about today. The book of Acts is, is kind of, it gives us this glimpse into the early church the first Christians. It's almost this biography of sorts into the life of this community of believers who started as just this small group who were worshiping and and seeking God in an upper room. And throughout the book, they grow and grow into this movement of men, women, and children who are actively participating in God's redemptive work. And in the first couple chapters of of the book of Acts, these amazing things happen. Jesus ascends into heaven and then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, he, he, he comes and empowers Jesus' disciples, giving them supernatural power to advance God's mission on the earth. And then in, in the, the, the chapters that come after it, these amazing signs and healings begin to happen. And just this, this beautiful vision of the, the kingdom of God breaking into the here and now. And they're learning to love each other. And they're learning to live in community with one another. They're learning to follow the teachings of Jesus and actually practice them in day-to-day life. And interestingly, up until Acts chapter 10, which we're going to look at today, up until this point in the story, the focus has been on Jewish Christians, pretty much exclusively focusing on those who were of Jewish descent, who, who had been waiting for a Messiah and then received Jesus as that Messiah, exclusively focusing on on those people who were waiting for a savior and a rescuer to redeem his people. The Jews had always seen themselves as kind of the exclusive people of God. And so as they moved from being Jewish to Christians, to followers of Jesus, it's very likely that they just assumed that this was their Messiah, that this was their redeemer, but didn't recognize the implications that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus would have for all people. And then we come to chapter 10. And uh, we're introduced to this new character. He's a Gentile, which means that he's a non-Jewish person. He's a centurion, a Roman. His name is Cornelius. And and Cornelius is a good man. He loves God. He's generous with his wealth. He cares for the poor. And an angel of the Lord appears to him in a vision, and he tells him to go and meet Peter, to go and meet one of Jesus' disciples. His name is Peter. And so Cornelius does what the angel has instructed him to do. He sends his men to go and meet Peter. Uh, They say he's living in a house by the sea. And this brings us to verse 9 of chapter 10, which we're going to look at together today. So if if you're able and willing, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Here's what it says. About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the rooftop to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken up to heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So you can take a seat. So 
So pigs. I think it might be true that, that there's no animal that's dirtier or smellier or maybe even uglier than a pig. They roll around in the mud. They eat their own poop. Uh, when you cluster them together, you can smell them from literally kilometers away. I grew up in a small town in southwestern Ontario. It's like a, an area called Huron County, and it's probably like 90% farm country. And so you get all the smells, the good and the bad, mostly bad. And whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's fertilizer with manure or chicken farms or a hog farm, there was no shortage of smells in the spring and summer. And the worst, or the strongest, in my opinion was the pigs. The word pig has also been coined in a lot of slang phrases that have pretty negative connotations. Like think about when your house is a mess, you might say, it's like a pigsty in here. Or if you're in a buffet line and you take five or six or seven desserts in a buffet, I really like to uh, use the dinner plates for dessert. (laughs) Do you even remember what a buffet line is? It's been far too long. But if you were to do that, if you were to take too many desserts in a buffet line, you might say, I feel like such a pig. Uh, Or even Jesus' own teaching is, is he he talks about in Matthew's gospel, he says, don't throw your, your pearls before the swine. Billions of people around the world avoid eating pigs or even touching or coming in contact with pigs on religious grounds, considering them filthy and untouchable. But on the other hand, they taste so, so good. I think about pork belly or, or ribs in the smoker, lechon for you Filipinos. And, and, and think about the smell of bacon with fresh coffee and the splattering sound of fried eggs in the morning. How can, some, how can death transform something that's so filthy and untouchable into a taste bud masterpiece? Okay, hold that thought for a moment. We'll come back to it. But, but pigs under the law of Moses were completely off limits to the Israelite people. And we see this both in in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's explicit instructions to avoid any sort of engagement with these animals. Uh, Check out Leviticus chapter 11, verse 7 and 8. I think it's going to be on the screen. It says, The pig, though it has divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat the meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. And Bible scholars have suggested all sorts of reasons as for why the Israelite people weren't to, to engage or, or keep their distance from pigs. Some have suggested it was because of their smell or their habits or the danger of eating them when they weren't cooked. Uh, but the reason given in the law, the reason given in the Torah, is simply that they, they had divided hooves, club and feet, and don't chew the cud. And so simply put, God declares that some animals are clean and then other animals are unclean. Cows and sheep and and pigeons and goats and scaly fish, they're fine. But camels and shellfish and birds of prey and animals with paws are not. And here's the kicker, the worst of them all. The one that was the most detestable was pigs. When the prophet Isaiah was trying to describe how perverted people could be, Among other metaphors and descriptors, he says that they were people who eat the flesh of pigs, whose pots hold broth of impure meat. I imagine the original hearers would have heard that and like, oh, these evil Gentiles eat the flesh of pigs. Nasty. And so going back to Peter's vision that we read about just a few moments ago, it's not hard to imagine why Peter would have been absolutely shocked when he saw pigs and all sorts of unclean animals and all the things that he had been taught all his life to avoid. Nowadays, I think it's pretty normal to dream about bacon, or at least I think it's normal. Uh, But Peter, a devout Jew, to be dreaming about pigs, it would have been like a vegan hitting up a Wendy's drive-thru and ordering a Baconator. 
It's just so far outside the scope of what they should have been doing. And then in the vision, the, 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 Lord doesn't, the angel of the Lord doesn't tell him to avoid these animals, but actually teaches him to, to eat them. What God has made clean, let no man call common. Okay, what's this all about? This whole section of scripture kind of seems like this bizarre footnote in the story of the early church. It's kind of weird, right? Like, think about it. In verse 10, Peter's waiting for his lunch. Someone's probably prepping him a garlic naan and some hummus. He falls in this trance, and he sees shellfish and birds and snake and pigs, and he's told to eat them. Seems more like a strange opener to a show on the Food Net with Guy Fieri than something that should be on the pages of Scripture. But if, we're, if we keep reading in, in chapter 10 and then even in chapter 11, we see that Peter's vision was so much more than Jews receiving license to participate in an all-American barbecue cookout or even a surf and turf feast. That, that, that this imagery, this vision that Peter has of, of unclean animals is communicating this message that will actually change the trajectory of the church. So here's how the story goes. Peter wakes up from that trance. And he meets that centurion named Cornelius, a Gentile. And he goes to Cornelius' home for dinner. And, and that's where everything clicks. That's when the whole vision about pigs and unclean animals makes sense. And here's what he says. He says this at, when he's at dinner with them. Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for Jews to associate or, or to visit with people of other nations. In other words, he says, you know what we're doing right now, eating together, sitting around a table, Jews and Gentiles. This is not legal. This is not allowed. And he goes on to say, but God has shown me, and this is key, God has shown me that I should not call any person unclean or common. <laughs> Just a side note, I think it's smart that, that Peter, when he's at this dinner party with the Gentiles, he leaves the part in his vision out where his hosts, where the Gentiles are compared to pigs, and, and uh, snakes and scallops. Even Peter, who's not always the most diplomatic of Jesus' disciples, is emotionally intelligent enough not to tell them the whole vision. Uh, but I, I don't think, in all seriousness, the result of this vision was extraordinary. By the end of chapter 10, the first ever group of Gentiles were baptized in water. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were worshiping Jesus passionately. And then through the rest of the book of Acts, the gospel spreads to many, many Gentiles in the ancient world. And then now, there's, today, there's upwards of two billion of us. So I don't think it's an overstatement for us to say that you and me, that non-Jewish people wouldn't have received the good news of Jesus and been adopted into the family of God if it wasn't for that vision that Peter had of pigs and other unclean animals. It communicates this welcome of God. Peter says these beautiful words at the dinner party. He says, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the ones who fear him and does what is right. See, the gospel wasn't only for the Jews. It wasn't only for Israel. It was for all people. And God was beginning this great restorative work, calling all people to himself, unifying every tribe and tongue, every nation, welcoming them in, inviting them to find home in the family of God, to participate in his new creation order under the rule and reign of King Jesus. It was this incredibly unifying moment where who was in and who was out was completely flipped on its head. The family of God wouldn't have anything to do with race or circumcision or ceremonial cleansings. Instead, the, the only prerequisite to adoption into God's family was receiving the good news of the gospel that Jesus died, rose again, conquering Satan, sin, and death, receiving his free gift of salvation by faith through grace, and then committing allegiance to him. 
It wasn't about a physical circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart. About 10 years later, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a very similar thing. He said it like this, For there's neither Jews nor Gentiles, neither slaves nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we're one. No matter our ethnicity, our working class, our gender, no matter our political leanings or the language we speak, we can be so different from one another, and yet we're one in Christ. We're unified because we belong to him. And the thing, the one who unifies us, our risen king, is so much greater than anything that could divide us. But here's the reality. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. Gosh, even Peter, he forgets later in the story. He has this powerful vision that we just read about of the pigs and the unclean animals. Then he sees with his own eyes the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentile believers. He eats a meal with the Gentiles. He welcomes them into the body of Christ. And then seven or eight years later, he's in Antioch. He's with some Jewish friends, and he stops eating with the Gentile people. He cuts them out. In order to fit, into, in order to fit in with the Jews and, and with the conservative Jewish Christians, he sort of reinstates this Jewish-Gentile divide in Antioch. To go to his party... You have to be circumcised. To go to his party, you have to be Jewish. Look at Galatians 2, 12, and 13. This is Paul the Apostle writing, and he says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. I'm concerned that the disunity and division that we see in the church today is leading people astray. And to be clear, this isn't a disunity around Jew and Gentile. Most of us are Gentiles, and we're quite comfortable in our adoption into the family of God. But the church at large has become so divided right now over secondary issues and cutting each other out based on opinions about our current cultural moment, about politics and policies, over lockdowns and masks and vaccines and all the surrounding issues that that we've faced over this past few years. I think if we were to modernize Paul's instructions to the Galatian people, or I think if Paul was going to write those to us today in the Western world, I think he'd say maybe something like this. Maybe he'd say, for there's neither vaccinated or unvaccinated. There's neither pro-maskers or anti-maskers. Nor is there conservatives or liberals, for you are all one in Christ. But so easily we forget. So easily we let these things divide us. We join in with the rest of society and we, and we ostracize one another because of differences in opinions and, and we tear people apart. The division of the church the way that we talk about one another and the way that we talk about the world. It doesn't only affect the way that people engage with us as private citizens, but as ambassadors of Christ, as his his image bearers in the world, it affects the way that people view Jesus. My brother Josh is, uh, he's an amazing, kind, funny, always has your back kind of human. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world. And uh, Josh and I grew up in the same Christian home. Uh, Josh... And Josh went on to Bible college just like I did, and and he was on a trajectory to become a pastor. And 
In sharing this, I don't want to oversimplify the, or misrepresent the depth of questioning and wrestling that Josh did in his faith throughout his early 20s. But I do know this, and uh, I chatted with Josh about this this last week, and, and he, he said it was okay for me to share this, but Josh's Christian faith fell apart not so much because he had a problem with Jesus or had a problem with Jesus' teachings. He actually still loves the Bible and holds to a lot of the teachings in Scripture, the ethics taught in Scripture. But Josh's faith really started to unwind as he regrettably experienced people in our family and in our community bombarding him with videos and articles and memes and sharp kind of shouting in a megaphone type conversations about a politically driven nationalist version of the gospel. And he couldn't seem to disassociate this Jesus with Jesus' people. Jesus' people who could be harsh and rude and cutting and disunified from the one that they claimed to worship. And things they were passionately proclaiming as the gospel looked very little, if anything, like the good news that we read about on the pages of Scripture. And so he and many of his friends, they, they, they were deeply wounded by people who used their Christian platforms to prop up agendas and ideologies that at best were a misunderstanding of Jesus' teachings, and at worst, were a dark, twisted use of the gospel for personal or political gain. And so Josh no longer considers himself a Christian. So maybe it's worth saying, just really practically, that the things that we post on social media, the opinions that we have, and, and I have opinions too, I have my own concerns about the moment that we find ourselves in, but the way that we express those things, even if they're right, even if they're true, if they're not shared in love, can actually have a very damaging effect, can bring about disunity in the body of Christ, and can ultimately lead people astray. And so maybe a question for us to consider this morning is, is where are we divided? Where have we let our preferences or opinions separate us from one another and build up walls between us? Now maybe it's on the big world events that David was referring to earlier. Or maybe it's just disunity between a brother or sister over a, something that's come between us. But Acts chapter 10 reminds us that the folks around the table, the ones we like and the ones we don't like, those who are gathered around the person of Jesus are beloved sons and daughters of God. And the way that the world will know we belong to him is not by a clever argument or, or our fights for our freedoms, or our stance against sin, or a pithy Facebook post, the way that everyone will know that we are his, that we are truly part of the family of God, is by our love for one another. And to love does not mean that we agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we just kind of put our differences under a rug. We can have differences in opinions. We can challenge each other in an iron sharpens iron kind of way. I think about Jesus' disciples. It was this hodgepodge of all sorts of different worldviews and, and, and upbringings. You had the zealots, and you had the, 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 the fishermen, and you had the tax collectors. But to be unified in Christ is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's Christ who unites us. And when we keep our eyes on him, all those other differences don't seem as grand anymore. Okay, so as we close together this morning, we're going to take communion together. And so ushers, if you want to come up and if there's people who didn't get a communion package on their way and you can maybe get them one. Band, if you want to join me up on the stage. Uh, but there's maybe nothing that's more unifying that we can do as Jesus Church than participate in the Lord's Supper together. And taking communion, we're celebrating that we've been reconciled to God, but also that we've been reconciled to one another. 
This isn't uh, something that we, that we do kind of nonchalant. Paul the Apostle warns the church in Corinth that we shouldn't participate in community or in communion if there's any disunity between us and another person. He says, if there's division between me and another person, then before I take communion, I should go and I should make things right with them before taking part in this sacrament. See, as we take communion together, this isn't just a me and God thing. This is a we and God thing. This is us together acknowledging that, that we are an eclectic group of all sorts of different walks of life, but we are unified and committed to one another because of our commitments and our allegiance to King Jesus. So as we prepare to take communion, I just want to pause for a moment for personal reflection. Just us and the Lord. And uh, I just want to create some space to sit with that question. Let the Holy Spirit bring guidance and conviction where necessary. But let's circle back to that question I asked a moment ago. Where are we divided? Where have I let my preferences and opinions, maybe even my convictions on secondary issues, bring division between me and another son or daughter of God for whom Jesus gave his life? So in the quiet, quietness of this moment, just think about that. Lay it before the Lord. Where are we divided? What might he be asking me to do about it? Okay, as we prepare to take the elements, I want to circle back to this idea of pigs. In a lot of ways, we are like pigs. <laughs> you know, earlier on in my message, I asked this silly question. I said, how can something that smells so bad when it's alive smell so great when it isn't? How can death transform something that's so filthy and untouchable into something with such an incredible taste and aroma? Well, that's exactly what happens to us. In a spiritual sense, we are like that filthy, dirty pig in a pigsty, just rolling around in our own mess and dirt, incapable of cleaning ourselves up. But, but in Christ, we're made clean. We've been purified from our sins. And now we offer ourselves as this fragrant offering to God who makes common things clean. This is pig paradox. Death in our case, the death of Jesus that, that was taken on to, for our sins to that which was filthy and untouchable and made us into something that's had a beautiful aroma by the grace of God. So I just want to read this, this quote from Andrew Wilson, and then we'll take communion together. He sums it up like this. He says, In Christ, pigs become bacon. <laughs> it's the welcome of God. Those who wouldn't, we wouldn't have wanted to have in the garden, for all their stinking and snorting and snuffling, experience death and find themselves welcomed into the kitchen for everyone to savor. Stench dies, impurity is washed, washed away, and we who were once unclean become a pleasing, crispy taste, aromatic offering to God. Therefore, what God has called clean, do not call common. I love that. In Christ, pigs become bacon. 
So if you have your little packages, you can open them up right now. And, uh, and to start, we'll take the bread together. We'll take the bread in remembrance of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And so if you have that, you can take it right now. Now let's take the juice. You can open that up. We drink the juice together in remembrance of Jesus' blood that was shed on our behalf. So let's take that together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. That while we were still sinners, the scripture tells us while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And so we receive that this morning and we say thank you, Jesus. We also recognize that, that, that we've been made right with you, but you've also called us to be made right with one another. That the reconciling work that you bring is with us and with our fellow man, with our fellow humans. And so I just pray for us as a community where there's disunity, where there's brokenness, where there's hurt. Would you begin to mend those things? Would you help us to keep the main thing, the main thing, to be centered on the person of Jesus? And amidst a, a society and a world that is so polarized and divided, I pray that your church would present this alternate vision, this alternate society, one that is unified under King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.